Uh, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before your throne and we do thank you that because of that wonderful work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's possible tonight for every one of us to know that our names written in your hand. We thank you we could be kept by the power of God. We thank you that tonight there's a potential of peace with God. And so we come and, and give you thanks for that. We come to give you thanks for all of the work that you have done in the Lord Jesus Christ to make it possible for us to be sufficient in life, capable of fulfilling your purpose while we live out time on this earth. We're coming and asking you tonight to open your word again to us and move by the Spirit of God that we might see it and embrace it for your praise and glory. And we're trusting you for that. And we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Started in as we think about this matter concerning faith, addressing this issue of fear. Fear is a common problem for the human race. Serious problem. The Bible tells us that, again, there's not, it's not just a small problem because uh, Proverbs says this. Fear has torment. Fear has torment. It's, it's a condition of mind that, that pulls on us and then jerks us out of confidence and, re, and the present reality. Good news is, God says, fear not. Right? Fear not. But unless our hearts can answer the problems that are making us afraid with the solid information from the Word of God, then we're going to continue to fear. We've said that what is, what is that life of faith? Well, it's a life in which I hear what God says to me and I build my life on that, right? So that if I'm going to fear not, I can't just do that by making up my mind not to be afraid. I have to listen to what God has said, build my life around it, and find the release that He promises. We've been thinking about that. We thought about it over the last couple of weeks. I want to just note that there are three different dimensions of that that I'm going to address. Again, you could talk about a lot of different features of fear. But there's three dimensions of it I, I think are important for us to get. First of all, if you're going to live a life freed from fear, you have to know that the eternal God is on your side. That's why we, we had spent all fall thinking about it. We repeated as we started this that the basis of any life of faith is justification. In that act of justification, we are related to God in such a way that His heart is towards us. God hates sin. That's the only thing He hates. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and took away the guilt of our sin, He opened up the blessing of heaven to human beings. There's no secondary thing that he's concerned about. God knows he doesn't, he doesn't care about the rest, if you would, since there's nothing else he's going to be irritated with. So the first step in having a fearless life is to know that my relationship with God is squared away because I have come to justification by faith. So if you haven't done that, of course, that, that's the foundation. The rest don't make much difference because it is in that act of justification or at that point when I am justified by faith that God entrusts to me a salvation. And we've been thinking about this, that there is a whole salvation given right at the beginning. 
And that salvation in Jesus Christ, because of what he has done on my behalf, makes it possible for me to fulfill everything he requires of me for the rest of my life. So we've been thinking about the dimensions of that. Last week, we began to think about a second area concerning fear. Fear comes to us because we live in a dangerous world. We live in a dangerous world. It's an unpredictable world, and it's bigger than we can handle. We can't cover all the bases of the dangers that this life presents. So in order to live a fearless life, that has to be met. The problems that we could face have to be met. When a person comes to Christ, we said last week, they become a sheep of his pasture. This is to sum up what we had last week in really brief form. The point of that for us is this, that he takes us in his hand, puts his hand around us, and we are safe. Nobody can pluck us out of his hand. No circumstance can change that. When you came to Christ and committed yourself to him, he took that life and he now guards it on every side. You are complete. The angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him, those that are committed to him. So it doesn't mean, biblically, that there might not be difficult things that happen in your life, even what seem like bad things, but those things are all filtered through the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is your king. Your Lord, who's protecting you, that's tremendous. That deals with a whole lot of fear, too. But that has to do with external circumstances. What might go wrong in your health? What might go wrong out there in the economy or the, the politics of the world or wars or, or natural disasters? But there's another dimension of fear that I want to address tonight. And that is the concern that we have because in those circumstances we have to also perform. There are things that we have to be and things that we have to do. And one of the great fears that we have is that sense, that fear that we aren't going to be sufficient for the requirements that are made or are put upon us. It doesn't matter, and we can go to different things. So we, on one side, we need to be kept from, you know, all these circumstances. On the other side, we have to be sufficient in those circumstances. Now, if you don't have it... Everybody that's ever raised kids knows that. That that sense of, how am I going to accomplish this? How am I going to be sufficient to do this? How am I going to have the wisdom? How am I going to have the strength? How am I going to have whatever it takes to raise them? That's what we're thinking about here. What is the issue? What is it that God has done for us which enables us to live courageously in light of the things which could be demanded of us? And Paul has a word here for us on this. It follows on the passage that we were in last week. We didn't finish it, but we were in it last week in Philippians. It comes right after he had said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then he talked about letting men know your forbearance. And he talked about the fact that we are to cast all the cares on him. We are Don't be anxious about anything. He's talking about all the potentials out here. And he does tell us, we didn't get to this last week, but he tells us, think certain directions. You live in a nasty world. Don't get captivated with a nasty world. What things are pure? What things are good? Because they are happening on this earth. The living God is moving on this earth. Whatever things are of, 
worthy of praise. Think on those things. And the thought there is not just to think about them temporarily, it's to let that dominate your thinking. And then he finishes up by saying, and the God of peace will be with you. There's a little bit more to it than that. Now, this week we want to go to the passage which comes right after that. And it's, it's really fairly well known to us. <clears throat> Paul speaks, about here, speaks here about the sufficiency that we can anticipate in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read it. It's in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And it begins in verse 10. Now, remember that the book of Philippians it had a number of different reasons it was written, but one of the reasons was this. Paul had received a gift from the Philippian church, a financial gift. When you were in jail in the Roman Empire, you had to be supported from outside. to be. If You, you would probably die under their provisions. People had to bring things to you, and this church had sent money to him to aid him in taking care of him while he's in prison. And so he's at, he is writing a, a thank you note to them. Says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have been revived. You've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. And then he changes gears here, and this is kind of funny to us. That says, not that I speak from want. See, Paul is always the pastor. He's always the pastor. He knows that. It is a good thing, and he, he should give thanks. It's right to thank them. It is right to express his gratitude, and he was grateful. There was nothing wrong with that. There's no problem. But the other side of it is this. It could appear that he was saying, I have been here struggling, and now you've supplied my need, and <clears throat> now I'm okay. Now, that's a problem only in the respect that here he's speaking to people who he has told will probably face persecution. They're going to probably face hard times. They're probably going to face circumstances which are out of their control, where they can't have everything that they're, they won't have everything that they think they need. He wants them to understand how his life works. So he's, he's, he's cutting a real sharp line here. On the one side, doesn't want to be ungrateful. On the other side, he doesn't want to appear so grateful that you'll think that I was in need or I was in want. Let's put it that way before I got this note. So he, again, as pastor, he's now speaking to them. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then this pretty well-known verse from the word from the book of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, simple passage. Simple thought in a sense. But let's look at it together. Let's first of all start with the idea of Paul's Paul's contentment, what he's claiming there. The word contentment uh, can be translated, that's the proper translation for it, to be content, to be satisfied with where you are. But it did have a little bit of a different thought in the Roman word, in the Greek and Roman world. The word actually meant to be self-sufficient. Now that sounds bad, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't can you hear Mr. Carroll? He's, he's having problems with this. No, anyway, <laughs> that you would use such a term, self-sufficient. But it is what the word meant. 
course, the, the Greek world was not religious world. It wasn't. If you had hope, it was in yourself, right? The Stoics particularly picked this word up, and it was, it was their kind of one of their key words that you had to develop this self-sufficiency, which meant that no matter what happened to you, you could take it. Their philosophy was that don't ever get excited about anything that's good. Don't ever get depressed by anything that's wrong. Just sit there like a, you know, like a statue and take it. And if you could take it, then you were an admirable character. You didn't feel anything. You weren't much good to anybody, but you did make it, all right? So that idea of just being able to, from your own self, be sufficient for the circumstance was kind of what it meant to be content, right? Now, <clears throat> that was the Stoics, right? In a general way, it was just it was a characteristic of some people who seemed to have the capacity to just keep on going on in general circumstances, right? But Paul is talking here in a completely different way. He is talking about a situation in which he had gotten to a place where he could say, I have in myself what I need to face life. Now, he's gonna, we're going to see what, how it's going to be worked out in just a moment. But that is what he's saying. He's saying that I don't need to reach outside. I do not need external help to live. That's quite something to say. I don't require that things go well for me this way or this way or this way. I am sufficient in and of, in here. And so I am content with the circumstances because I don't need to have them changed. That's the whole point of the contentment feature. If I wasn't sufficient, then I would have to have a change, and I would be looking for that change, and that's the discontent that he's concerned about. The contentment here means that he has what it's going to take to get through this. Okay, now, that's the first part, and it's, that's fairly simple. Then comes the second part. How do you get there? How do you get there? And we want to, to make this part really clear. He says, I have learned. All right? He does, says that twice. In the first verse, he says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. Okay, then he says it again in the in the next verse. He says that I've been through all these things, but I have um, <clears throat> I have learned the secret of being filled. Now, those are two different words for learned. The first is really a common word for learned. The second one has to do with a different circumstance. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But if he says that I have learned, it implies that as a Christian, there was a time when he didn't know, because that's the only way you can learn. One of the requirements of learning is you don't know. All right? If you didn't know and you come to knowing, you've learned something. That's important for us. Because he wasn't born, born again as a person that was completely content with his circumstance. He said that he's learned this. This is a process I have gone through. And that's where that second word becomes really helpful to us. Now, it's, it's a different kind of word. It means, when it says I've learned in the second one, it means I've been initiated into a secret. <laughs> that's, it was, that's, it's kind of a, anyways, an interesting phrase. I've been initiated into a, circ, into a circumstance or into a, a knowledge. I have come to it by circumstances that I have gone through. 
I've proceeded through, and it would be the kind of the equivalent of me saying, you know, I've paid my dues. I have gotten to a certain place because I paid my dues. I went through what it took to get me here. I have learned the ropes. You learn the ropes by being around the ropes and figuring out which one does what until you have come to that place. So Paul didn't always know this. He wasn't born again this way, but he has come to a definite conclusion, and it's because he had faced a number of circumstances. But the other part of that verb, the way it is placed, tells us this, that those circumstances have brought him to a settled conclusion. All right, so he has gone through a process of learning. We don't, he doesn't describe how long that takes. He's not aiming at that. But when he had learned it, he had a conviction which now was settled in his soul, which made it possible for Paul to live a courageous life under really rough circumstances. Right? Now, he had learned that. How had he learned it? He had learned it through the difficult circumstances that God had put him. Right? He says, I have been in a place where I've been abased. Now, we know Paul was really abased. He was beaten how many times? That's, it's not a great honor, even in any culture, to be beaten by local authorities. He's been in a place where he has virtually nothing. He just lives day to day. He's been in places where he had to work with his own hands just to get by in the ministry. He knows what it is to be abased. All right? he, he says he knows what it is to abound. It's important to note that he says that I learned this in both of those cases. I learned when I was down and had nothing. And I also learned about the secret when I was prospering. That's interesting because you can can kind of glorify the, the bad things that can happen to you. And I wanted to say this for the sake as we go on through tonight and, and start to, to think it through. Um, for young people that are here, I would encourage you to ask God to bring you to that place. But don't engineer your circumstances. Life has enough problems. All right? Life is tough enough. Just just regular life. And, and it's a lot of what he's going to be talking about here has to do with just regular life. God could use those circumstances, but you don't want to be thinking that if only I could go through this, or if only I had this experience, or if only I had that experience. One of the mysteries to me, as I've watched Christian people develop for 50 years, is why some go through so much, and others don't seem to go through as much. And there's a temptation in our heart to believe that if you go through a whole lot, well, then God must have really great things for you. Right? And that could be real depressing if you're not going through a whole lot. And you could come to the conclusion that God has kind of bypassed me, that he set me off to the side, and I don't count in this program. So Paul isn't arguing. He makes very little out of how he got there. He doesn't go and tell you stories of what great, terrible things he went through. He simply says this, I went through something. The indication is that when he learned, he learned because he was going through stuff. This is the kind of learning that you learn as you go through it. It's not the kind of learning you learn because you read about it or you watched a YouTube on it. 
all right, is the kind of learning where you get in there and you do it, and oh, that's the way you do it. Paul has gotten to that place. He's let God bring him to that spot. Now, again, I would, I would greatly encourage you tonight. If you're not content, if you don't have that sense, because you're going to have to... We're talking about the life of faith. Great demands are going to be made on you in the life of faith. Great demands. And sometimes those demands combined with the problems in the world can be really, really upsetting. I don't like, um, I don't like roller coasters. I really don't. When my kids were little, I was at Hershey Park and I had to go on one. I just had to. It was, you know, it's a point of honor. You know, you have to do this. And the one they picked out <clears throat> was a, uh, and again, I have no idea. I do not know the names for it. But it was one of those ones, you know, does the loop-de-loop. It just doesn't go up and down. We couldn't content ourselves with that. We had to have one that does all the spins and rolls and all the rest of it. Okay, so I got on that uh, roller coaster, and okay, here we go. And for me, the whole thing's an endurance contest, all right? Just, we've got to get to the other end. I just have to admit, I'm not going to enjoy this. There's no way I'm going to enjoy it. I'm just going to get to the other end and prove that I was going to be willing to do this. And so we got up there, and I can still remember, we, we, dent, we dove off the first round, and you go, okay, here we go. And then the thing did a loop. I guess it did a loop. All I know is this. I didn't have my glasses secured. As soon as we hit that first whatever it was, well, our number kind of a cheapskate. (laughs) And my immediate concern turned to those glasses, which were down in the bottom of the car, whatever they call those things there. And they're sliding all over the place, but they're worth a lot of money, and I can't live without them. And now we are in the process of trying to grab a pair of glasses while we're going this way and that way and over this way and down and your head's going this one and you bang your head up the front. You go to So I spent the rest of that ride chasing glasses on the ground. Really fun, huh? <laughs> you, know, you know, just anyway. But here's the point. I think sometimes in life that's the way we feel. That just... The, the roller coaster's enough, but now God puts on us to chase glasses. We've got to take care of somebody in the middle of it. There's, there's demands made on us, and how are we going to meet those demands while all this other stuff is going on? Paul says, I've learned something. I've learned. And he learned in those kinds of circumstances. He learned because he had been put under pressure that God could do certain things. If you're going to make a difference for God on this earth, if you're going to live a fearless life, you have to learn this. I have to learn this. We have to come to the place where we can say, I have learned. I remember when I was young in the Lord, what an encouragement was to me to meet men who had learned this. Who, when my circumstances were turning upside down and I was still getting my feet on the ground, could say to me, it's okay. And I could watch a steady hand live through the circumstances with me because they knew, they had proved that it's okay. And there's all of us here have the potential to meet other people. I'm concerned not so much just that you are a fearless person, 
But all around us are people who, as, as, the song, as the song used to say, are wrestling with the troubled sea. They're out there and they're trying to survive. And it is the responsibility of the people of God to reach out to them. They could be in your family. They might be your neighbors. They might be in your church. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they're lost people or they're saved people. That They're, they're in, in trouble. They're out of control. If I am not solid on the rock, I can't reach out the hand to them. If you're drowning yourself, you can't help the guy beside you. And Paul has gone through all this, but now he can say, he can say to these people, I have learned in whatever situation I find myself to be sufficient. How in the world could he come to that conclusion? Well, that's, it is, that's the context of what we have in this tremendous verse. He says, I can do. Here's the, he says, I've learned a secret. <laughs> I found out, here's the, here's the deal. Here's what I need to know. Again, this, I've found a secret. I don't like the word secret. I just want, I think the Christians use it way too much. The Bible's an open book. God's not trying to keep secrets from you. All right? And, and I don't think it's, it's the best thing to keep always saying, yeah, it's a secret. But on the other hand, Paul says, I've learned the secret. I'm going to tell you. All right. So, so he tells everybody that ever reads the word of God what the secret was. So in this case, we'll, we'll forgive. But he's using a phrase because it's, it's the kind of thing that some people can cook and some people can't. You give the same recipe to two different people and it turns out radically different. All right. And I watch it, particularly those guys, people that can do make candy. I think that, that that's the one. You know, when you heat it up, and it, it, at this point, and you're watching, it says right here when it boils. Some people know when it's boiling, and some people don't know when it's boiling. Right? They just don't know. I met a man that was he was a good friend here. He was a doctor, but in his, as he grew up, he was a uh, a blacksmith. He did he did blacksmith work, and he knew colors. He could heat that metal. And he says, I know when it's the right color. How do you know? He had known the secret. He knows it. And, and boy, the shades are different. I don't think I could have ever done that. Because it's just, okay, now it's ready. Bang it. All right? Now it's ready. Twist it. All right? So it's ready. It's ready. But he knew. Because he knew the secret. He had been through it enough times. He knows if I do it too early, it won't work. If I do it too late, it'll, it'll mash up. It, it's, just, it's got to be right here. That's when it's ready. It is prepared. I learned the secret. And every dimension of life has that kind of a thought to it, that there's something I have to know. And when this, this is what, by knowing this, I can get it right. If I don't know that, well, I might get it right by accident. But, but Paul says, now here's the secret. This is what makes it possible to live a contented life. And the contented life, I want to say again, is important because it brings you right into the present moment. It makes it possible for you to live a courageous life tonight. Not tomorrow, not the next day, not someday. Because the work that God has for us on this earth is going to be accomplished in the immediate present. I know I harp on that, but it's just so important for us because we're a culture that doesn't want to live in the present. We want to live somewhere else. We entertain ourselves into something over here. But real people have real needs right around you right now, and that's where God works. He works in the immediate present. Tonight, 
Something is happening here. This is the only night that's important in my life. How about that? That's the way I look at it. It's the only night that's important. Why? Because this is the immediate moment. This is the time when the Spirit of God has come to take His Word and plant it into our hearts. To take you and work in your spirit to make you, to strengthen you. Both to know the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him and then to love other people. This is when He's going to do it. This is when He's going to open up minds right now. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Well, tomorrow. We'll look at it again. But I'm not in tomorrow. And the God that we serve is the great I am. I am who I am. He's the God of tonight. Right? Now, if I am to live the way I have to live in order to meet you tonight, I have to be here. And fear takes me out of the present. It moves me into the past. It moves me into the future. It moves me somewhere else where my mind is not occupied with the very thing that God is doing at the immediate present. And so this is very important that Paul has come to this conclusion. Here was his conclusion. What is it? We all know that. I can do all things in conjunction with Christ who strengthens me. Now, see, this is a step beyond what we talked about last week. Last week, we talked about God being around me to protect me. My life is safe, so I don't have to be worried about that. But I, in the circumstances that I'm in tonight, I need sufficiency, right? I need sufficiency. I need the Spirit of God to meet me in such a way that I can explain the Word of God clearly, accurately, powerfully. And I'm not trying to be powerful. I just know that the same God who met me can meet you. And it's my job to get that across. I need sufficiency tonight. I need strengthened for this. Who is sufficient for these things? That's what the right says. Who is sufficient for that? Well, the Spirit of God can meet me. I can do all things, he says. Now, again, I want to, to keep the, the passage real clear. Because sometimes this one's warped way out of He's talking here about financial issues. He's talking about the fact that he, he didn't have the money and now he has the money and that's going to help him out. And he, but he could have said this with regards to all kinds of other circumstances. But Paul is not saying here that I can do whatever I want to do, that I can do miracles. He's not talking about miracles here. All right? Does it make sense? I can do all things. I can't walk on water. I can't fly. I can't. There's a whole lot of things. And that's not the point. And that sometimes is warped. It. We should be seeing miracles. Well, here's the miracle you've got to have, contentment in the present moment. There's a miracle, right? People who are alive right now, people whose heart's alive right now, and they're trusting the Lord right now. Right? So that's what he's saying. I can do all things. What he's saying is, I'm confident that no matter what tomorrow has, that I not only will survive that, that was last week's message, but in that moment, I will have the capacity to meet whatever demands God puts upon me for other people's sake. This is for other people's sake. Now, in this particular passage, he does not mention other people. All right? But if you were here last week, you remember that the book of Philippians takes 15 minutes to read. 
And when he was starting way back at the beginning, he, he makes this real clear. He says, you know what? He's not a stoic. He says that I have a preference. I have a preference in life. If I had my preference, I'm out of here. I would like to go home and be with the Lord. That would be my preference. But I'm not going to do that. And why does he say he's not going to do that? He says, I'm not going to do that because God's not going to put me there because he has work for me to do for your sake, he says. He's talking to the Philippian church. For your sake, it's better I stay here. The reason he's going to have to endure here is what? So that other people are blessed. In chapter 2, he says, now put on this mind. Put on this mind. This is the mind he wants, the, he wants all of us to have. This is the mind of Christ. And what is it? Who laid aside everything, right? laid aside heaven to give himself all the way to death so that people who were his enemies could become his friends. Right? Laying down his life for the sake of others. He then goes on after that to say, you people, you are a, you are a group of people who is to be a light. You're going to shine as lights in this world. That's your job is to shine as lights in this world. And we could go through the book in the, in the chapter 3. He says, this is what I want in life. I want to know him. And then we said last week, and I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And I believe if you, if you trace that through, the fellowship of his sufferings is getting in with Christ in what he's doing to see other people come to God is that the sufferings in chapter 2 are the sufferings that he went through in order to give himself on that cross. I want to fellowship in that kind of thing, which again is ministry. So when Paul says here I can do all things, he's not thinking about just I can get by in the middle of all the things that are happening in my life, like that roller coaster, there are demands going to be made on me for those who are right around me. And here's what I know. Here's my confidence. This is the confidence I have. I can meet that. I don't care what happens. So that when you sent me the money, that was a good thing. And I'm thankful for it. But if you hadn't sent it, it would still be a good thing. That makes sense. That I have the confidence. I have this, this contentment that if I have to suffer, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay if I don't have everything I need because he's proved to me that I can do what I need to do. But it's not just because I am sufficient. What's the, what's the other side of it? I can do all things in conjunction. This is a great word uh, because the, the verb there is through. It means side by side with Jesus Christ. Because that goes back to what we were talking about last week. We have the Lord surrounding us at all times, right? So he is always around. He's always protecting me. He says, now, side by side with him, I can be strengthened by him to do whatever ministry opportunity is in front of me. Whatever demand I have, whatever responsibilities I have in life to fulfill, he will meet me in that. He will strengthen me. To actually do it. See, a lot of times the fear comes up. Will I be? Will I be? Will I be able to? Will I be able to? Will I be able to make this clear? Again, I'm putting my own, my own circumstance. I have to teach the word of God. I've been doing it for a long time. But every time you get up there, you wonder, um, Lord, am I drifting out of touch with people? 
I mean, let's, let's face it. I'm 73 years old. And I face kids that are 23 years old. <laughs> Have I drifted out of touch? How can I make something real to people who are in a world that I don't even begin to know? Who have experienced things that I can't anymore touch. It's not like those days when I, I could come alongside and say, you know, this is what we sang, right? Right? Okay, yeah, we were all in there together. But they're in a complete... But what's he say? Where's the courage? This is where the courage for living comes. I can do what? I can do all things. I can do what God gave me to do through him because he is going to strengthen me. He's not only going to be there. Paul says, this is the secret. While I am facing it, he is going to strengthen me. So that if I had to deal with my children, he is going to strengthen me to deal with that. Does that make sense? If I have to talk to my neighbor, he will strengthen me to deal with that. If I have to lead a group, then he'll strengthen me to deal with that. If I have to submit to a leadership, he can strengthen Whatever, whatever he asks, he can give me the strength to do it. Now, that's important for every person here. It's important when you're young. It's important when you get older. Because it's, it's a tendency to believe that as time goes by, I'm thinking now for those of us that aren't young, all right, we're not young. To believe that our lives don't count as much anymore. But they, they, how, what can I do? What's going to happen in the future? Will I be able to do this? What's he say? If, if you are breathing, God has a purpose for you. If you know him. I'm telling you, he has a purpose for you. And he can come alongside and strengthen. This is the secret of being content with being old. Because that's part of it, right? Self-sufficient in that. Not because you're self-sufficient but sufficient in the fact that when I'm standing here, Jesus Christ is with me to give me the spiritual strength to complete what he called me to do. And so I can be in the moment. I can be here. I can do it. Paul says he learned this. He learned it way back here. To be content with the circumstances. Now, question comes, how are you going to learn that? How are you going to learn that? I think that's where we're going to aim at. That's, how about that? Jesus is with you to strengthen you. As Mr. Carroll used to put it, he comes in to pour the power in when you need it. Just pour the power in when you need it. He strengthens you. Okay, how do we get there? How did Paul get there? He got there by walking with the Lord in the circumstances back here. He got there by looking that direction from the start. What do you have to do? Again, you say, well, but I'm not in any of those tough circumstances. But you're in circumstances. The question is, have you come to the Lord and said, you know, Lord, I want you to enable me to live in the immediate present and walk with you to meet the people who are right around me right now. If you don't do it in the right now, it will never happen. All right? Time doesn't change us. It wasn't because Paul was old that he had learned this. It was because when he was in those circumstances, he walked with God and God proved himself to them. That's part of what you find in the beginning of the book of Second Corinthians as Paul is talking about a circumstance that he went through. And he said, we, were, we despaired even of life. 
We didn't know if we were going to make it through this thing. He says that the reason we went through that was so that we could trust in the God who raises the dead. So we could learn to trust in a God that raises the dead. I don't want to go through those circumstances with Paul. But God engineered them for Paul to teach him what he could do for him in the immediate present at that term, at that circumstance. At that time, excuse me. And because Paul did it, he says, now I can comfort. I can comfort others. But one of the ways he can comfort is, once you know that you serve a God who can raise the dead, you're not going to be very afraid of a lot of outside, out there, right? How are you going to get to this place? I would challenge you to ask, first of all, ask the Lord to take you there. Because if you're going to be useful to him, you're going to have to be competent. You're going to have to be delivered from fear. You're going to have to be delivered from that lack of confidence in him, which takes you away and makes you retreat. Ask him to do it. That's the first thing. Put it in his hands. Put it in his hands. And again, as I said earlier, do not try to engineer circumstances. I say that because I don't know how many godly people that I have known who tried that. It's a waste of time. They all, they all accepted that. <laughs> this was a waste of time. I put myself out on the limb. You don't need to put yourself out on the limb. You're already out on a limb. All right? All right? It's life puts you on the limb. Prove God where you actually are right now. Just prove him where you are right now. He is sufficient. Student, he's a sufficient. He, he can give you all you need to be a student and be something to those people around you. you got, no matter what your circumstances is, trust him in those circumstances. But believe, ask him to bring you to it. Learn what it is to trust him in the immediate present. To meet every need you have for sufficiency. What does he put you, where, where does he place you? I don't know where he'll put you. But you want to come to, come to that place. Paul has said that he came to a spot. He learned something. He learned. He learned through experiences. Experiences that were a little bit difficult, which he calls an initiation. I was initiated into it. Into this knowledge. It's the secret of being sufficient, content in life. And what is that? It's the realization, it is the understanding, it is the firm grasp on this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're in that place tonight. We want to ask God to bring us there. There is a world around us that needs us to be alive in him. In the present moment for his glory. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we come before you and we give you thanks for the great things that you want to do for us so that you can perform your purposes through us. We thank you for the Apostle Paul. We thank you for what he had learned. We thank you we have this book because he was content, because he had learned to live under difficult circumstances. We come and ask you to teach us that so we can live courageous lives. These are difficult days. People are in turmoil all around us. We're coming and asking you to stabilize us in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
teaches what it means to walk with him and know his strength. And in that confidence, live out the time you have for us on this earth. Come and trust you for it and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.